everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is the 167th episode of Make Ours Marvel, the podcast that takes you on a journey through the adventures of the Marvel superhero universe from the very beginning. We started with the Fantastic Four number one from 1961, and we have made it through to the happy, happy month of October 1967. Marvel is getting to, uh, ready to shake up their line, and they're going to introduce small changes every month for the next several months for almost a year. And the first change we're going to talk about tonight. Yay! Yay! In this episode, we'll be covering The Avengers 47. Marvel Superheroes 12, a new title for the sor- for the series. Amazing Spider-Man 56, and then we're going to jump into November with Sergeant Fury 50 and Strange Tales 165. Oh, so it's an end of the month tonight, too. It is an end of the month tonight. Um, I hope you packed your pajamas. Okay, I get the big, the big three, like there's small threes, but I get three, which is bigger than two. Um, so we kick off with Avengers number 47, Magneto walks the earth that's right avengers number 47 Magneto. with magneto in it magneto perish the thought the okay across the infinite fathomless void of space on a grim gray world without a name stands the vengeful entity known as magneto and that tiger's all you know all you know or need to know for now stan lee proudly presents and polishes yet another roy thomas john Buscema two-man triumph what's more he even got George Tuska to ink it and LP Gregory to letter it. So yeah, it's like this weird limboy looking place. We don't know where the stranger actually takes Magneto every time he takes him, but he's always taking him. That's stranger. Um, and they're just like walking around and Magneto's of course threatening to hit and abuse, abuse Toad constantly for some reason. But he's also admitting that, you know, there's lately been this magnetic wave. I keep feeling it coming from earth. And I think if it happens again, I can ride us on it. And we cut to this wave, and it's like in a castle that looks really familiar, like we've been to this castle before, maybe in Tales of Suspense or something like that. And it's being, um, it's a big giant, I was going to say Kirby device, but I guess it's a John Buscema device that's crackling away, and it's being run by a guy named Dane Whitman. And I'm trying to remember the other guy's name, or does it even matter? I'm not sure it matters. Dane Whitman definitely matters. Dane Whitman matters, but he has this bald dude in a lab coat with a chip on his shoulder who's helping. And the bald dude is like, I'm doing this for money. Somehow magnetic, sending magnetic waves into space gets you money. And he's like, well, why are you doing it? And Dane Whitman's like, well, my uh, my uncle was the Black Knight, and he fought Iron Man in this very castle, and then he pretty much died. And so that's my story. And the scientist guy's like, yes, but why are you doing this? He's like, shut up. But anyway... <laughs> We cut to we cut to the Avengers and Captain America quits in a really immature way because like he doesn't know how to do it with his actual feelings, so he just yells at them and he leaves. Um, and that makes them all go, Aw. Hawkeye goes home and he also has inability to process feelings because he lashes out to Black Widow and she's like, Man, our relationship is not great now that I'm not a superhero like he is. Um, Goliath and Wasp go fly away to Vegas on her new jet that she bought. And he looks like kind of annoyed by that. Although I don't know if he says that, but he looks annoyed. Hercules, after a crash course of learning how to fly, takes a jet to Olympus, climbs the top 
to the top of Mount Olympus as only Hercules can do and finds that Olympus is deserted. So he freaks out and decides he's going to spend the rest of eternity finding his friends and family. Uh, we cut back to Dane Whitman and he's shooting magnetism into space. And the guy who's all about the money is like, you know what? They're not even going to give me credit for this. I hate this guy. I'm going to bonk him on the back of the head. So he bonks him on the back of the head just as Magneto and Toad ride those magnetic waves back to Earth. And they're like, who, who brought us here? And the scientist guy's like, I did, I did. Um, he's like, show me exactly how this machine works or I will kill you or something. So he tries to show him, but really what he does is he tries to send him back because he can kind of tell that Magneto's uh, bad news. But Toad tattles on him, so Magneto, like, knocks him out. So now they're both knocked out, and they take him to the dungeon. They take Dane Whitman and this scientist guy to the dungeon and lock him up in there. And then... He starts talking about how he wants to rule the world again. Magneto, that is, of course. And he's like, you know, first thing I need to do is reestablish my brotherhood of evil mutants. We got Toad here. I roll. What about, uh, and Master Man's just kind of worthless. I never liked him. Remember that one time he created an illusion that just made someone run into me? That was really annoying. So um, <laughs> how about the, the twins, though, the Maximoff twins? Like, And then he has a flashback or, you know, tells the tale of how he rescued them from the, the rioting farmers or whatever. So he uh, basically, uh, 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 what does he do? He creates a random broadcast that's picked up by the only two Avengers who are left, which happen to be Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. So they go to the castle, because remember, this castle is actually in New York, so it's not as far-fetched as it sounds. They just had to walk across the street. And they go inside, and suddenly there's this big, giant metal statue attacking them that looks like from you know a land long ago. And uh, basically, it's Magneto powering it just to test them, and, of course, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch make short work of it. So then he reveals himself, and he's like, good, I'm glad you kept up your powers. You can join me. I'll let you. And they're like, um, we're Avengers now, and we're not bad anymore. And heck no. So he's like, what? I didn't see that coming. So he creates even more uh, or makes armored statue things, like more of them attack them. But again, Quicksilver just kind of like mops them up. But then when he goes to attack Magneto, Magneto sucker punches him by like having some metal thing fly at him from behind and hit him in the back of the head. And then while Scarlet Witch freaks out about that, he wraps her up in chains. And so they're both unconscious. And he's like, and now I shall take over the world. Next issue, all this and the block busting Black Knight 2. Enough said. Introduction of Black Knight. Yeah, but they totally teased here, but coming yeah, next issue. They undercut it, didn't they? A little bit. I mean, I guess you could assume. Um, especially if you're reading fantasy masterpieces, uh, because the previous issue of fantasy ma- in fantasy masterpieces, uh, it's been a bi-monthly reprint, really thick reprint book um, that's been reprinting Golden Age stories and 50s stories and also occasional monster stories from Marvel's Timely and Atlas years. Anyways, just last issue, so two months before this, they reprinted the first Black Knight story to begin a new Black Knight reprint series in that book. So either somebody's like, I want to bring back the Black Knight. Let's do his reprints and fantasy masterpieces. Or somebody seeing they were doing fantasy masterpieces reprints of Black Knight was like, I could use the Black Knight. I think I'll do that. I don't know which it was. But I, I, to think they're not connected, I, I think is. Yeah, yeah. They've got to be connected. Got to be connected. So the Avengers are fighting evil mutants. The evilest of mutants could be argued. 
And Magneto says evil mutants for the first time. While the X-Men are fighting Zappo the space octopus. (laughs) And that was a 12-parter. And they brought all the evil mutants together in that. And after 38 issues, they were like five. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the Avengers are fighting evil mutants. They're fighting Magneto, um, who is such a diva. Do you think, you know, that first page, I, the most powerful mutant of all, exiled forever to this desolate, forsaken planetoid, when I should be conquering the universe itself. Such a mockery cannot be. I must, I shall escape. Sue. Do you think that's him every morning? Yeah. Like he wakes up and yeah. goes outside. He's like, ah, it's funny because when I got into comics, it was 80s, 90s, and I actually really loved Magneto because he's kind of nuanced. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this is not. No, there's no <laughs> nuance here. Not yet. He is a cackling ghoul. I mean, he's a bad guy. He's a pretty solid bad guy as far as bad guys go. Yeah. But that's it. That's what he brings to the table. He's very Dr. Doomy that way. I meant to look up why did the stranger even bring them to the world? I can't. Why did they capture him? He was the original reason I thought was to figure him out. And then I think, I can't remember how he escaped and came back, but then at some point the stranger's like, you know what? Never mind. I don't need to figure Earth out. I just need to blow it up. Hey, there's the Hulk. That's not a good decision. I'll have him do it. Yeah, he chooses the Hulk and then he takes the abomination, which actually I I was like, hey, they they, they acknowledge their continuity here. Mm. Uh, The abomination, whatever the stranger wanted Magneto for, abomination took his place. And so Magneto has been isolated on this asteroid and ignored by his captor. It's funny because what what he wants with the abomination is for the abomination to like destroy the earth, I think. That's Mm -hmm. what he wanted from Hulk. And it's like, here's Magneto. Like, wanting to do that. So why don't we just let him? Good idea. Good idea. I've actually brought up X-Men 11 um, on my screen here, because that's where he was taken by the stranger, just to see if I can figure out why he even wanted him. Was it once or twice that that happened? Why do I feel like it's twice? It's twice. He got away and came back. um, And that was where he, like, showed up on their doorstep. Because there was, like, a... Right. That was that really cool reveal. Mm-hmm. And then it turned out the flashback was he saw just found a rocket ship laying around and went home. <laughs> and it, it was a really cool reveal and threat for Angel's parents. And then he just like put them in tubes to turn them into mutants. Right. Or to like make mutants out of them. I'm not sure riding magnetic waves, especially with Toad in tow, makes any sense either, though. Honestly, the rocket ship probably yeah. makes more sense. Is he saying he can turn to magnetism? What do you mean? Well, how did he? What? Okay, so Dane Whitman is sending out magnetic waves or something as messages Mm. so how did he ride those you know what i mean that reminds me of the martian manhunters origin i think it's martian manhunter where the scientist is like looking up into space and the fact that he's has his telescope pointed or is sending an energy beam into space somebody's able to just like return on that beam it accidentally sucks in somebody i kind of feel like that's this here no one really knows what he's doing but whatever he's doing just like sucks in somebody when it really shouldn't. And nobody understands Dane Whitman either. I guess I've never read his origin because I, at first I didn't even realize that was the Dane Whitman, you know? I was just kind of mm-hmm. reading away thinking there's this generic scientist guy. And then it's like, oh, Black Knight, oh. And then like after his explanation, the scientist, the other scientist is like, but that doesn't explain why you drive yourself so hard with magnetic experiments. And his answer was, doesn't it? Well, that's because you only care about money. And it's like that. No, really, he's right. It doesn't. It doesn't explain it at all. It doesn't explain it. 
Okay, so in issue 11, the stranger captured Magneto because his people are super interested in mutations. And he goes from world to world capturing mutants just to study, just to look at. Mm. So he brought Magneto and I guess Toad back to the world and um, that ended up getting replaced because Abomination is a, is a better mutation to study. Mm. Well, because he had moved then, on to the Hulk and the Hulk didn't work out, but the Abomination is pretty close. And the Abomination is, is, is several things. Definitely a mutation. Which is different than a mutant. Yeah, well... Yeah, but not, but is in the Marvel universe. It the is. Abo- yeah, the abominations way of being mutated is yeah. different than the capital M mutant. Yeah. yeah, there's the mutant gene, and then there's like someone who's mutated, like Spider-Man. Or something. Right, and they used to call those mutates, I think, instead of mutants. Uh, I'm not sure if that sticks around or not. Um, just to be so, fair, Whitman does then say, "My uncle used science for evil, and I'm trying to use it for good." So that's his motivation, I guess, with these magnets. Trying to make up for his uncle's deeds, right? Yeah. I can't stop now, and I'm so terribly but, close. But I'm just not sure what makes shooting magnetism into the space like making up for bad deeds. Like, why don't you use science to feed the homeless or something? I don't know. Because magnets. Magnets. <laughs> um, Captain America quits the Avengers. This book's timeline is apparently lagging a bit behind yeah. suspense. <laughs> yeah, it's been off a few times since this whole trying to show Cap's other storyline. Well, so the official index says he does the Avengers adventures Mm -hmm. and thinks about quitting. Mm -hmm. Then he goes to dinner with Agent 13 in Suspense 95 and decides to quit. Mm -hmm. Then he comes here and says, I'm done. Then he goes back to the rest of Suspense 95, you know, which which, uh, has him actually quitting and sitting down to think about being Captain America. Mm -hmm. Uh, Of course, we've already had two more issues of that comic since then, and he's already unquit. He he quit and unquit just like... Spider-Man did in 50 is one and done only in less pages. But this is kind of a crazy landmark for the Avengers because he's been part of the team in every issue with like one or two issue, you know, departures for whatever reason, but just like as part of a temporary story, he's been a a member since issue four and now he's done. Is he done? I wasn't sure if this was it or not. I don't want to look ahead. He shows up in like one issue stories, but he's not going to be in like a sequential run of issues again until the issue 69, which is almost two years away. But Cap, you swore an oath. Yeah, that I'd keep you guys babysat until a real Avenger came back. And there's Goliath and his stupid muscles. I'm out of (laughs) here. And then he's thinking to himself, I I was so mean, but because I don't want to Cap sad. Yeah. (laughs) Hawkeye and Natasha have a conversation and it's, it's kind of gross because he's really rude to her and she just like imagines that she deserves it. And it's really weird. She's like, I wonder, does he really love a girl named Natasha or only the black widow? And I'm like, or option C Hawkeye is a class, a jerk. And you know, he deserves, it does deserve you. Yeah. Or just, they had like, a dumb fight that he needs to apologize for at the very least. That too. Uh, but yeah, she, that her, 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 resol- her, uh, 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 conclusion was a little odd. Like he would normally talk to her if she was the black widow or something. Right. And not fume. Well, that's kind of tease the whole, she has quit being a costume adventurer thing, but I don't know how long it's going to take for them to resolve that. I don't, I don't know if they're dangling it with a plan or if they're just putting it out there. Cause that's the way things are now. I hope they break up because, 
this isn't the uh, quintessential pairing, in my opinion. So it's like, let's get this over with. You know, I agree with you, and yet it's weird how much it comes back in modern retellings. Mm-hmm. Ultimate MCU. It's Hawkeye and Black Widow. Not necessarily romantically, but they're like a partnership. That was cool, but that also came out of Ultimates. Yeah, you're right, Ultimates. And then it turns out she was evil. But not Luckily, not in the MCU. But uh, I remember there was even a cart that cartoon, I don't know which one, Earth's Mightiest Heroes or whatever, where like it suggested that Hawkeye and Black Widow used to date, which I thought was kind of cool. I've only seen a few. It does. That one does open with Hawkeye and Black Widow. Like Black Widow is believed to have betrayed and Hawkeye's like out to get her and like bring her back. Yeah. That's the beginning of the Earth's Mightiest Heroes series, which, by the way, if y'all haven't watched Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes from the mid 2000s, it is. I know. I'm essential viewing. I am a bad fan. I know it's supposed to be good and I just haven't dedicated time to watching it. And also I'm a little confused. Maybe we can clear that up now. Aren't there two or something? There was two what's there was an original Avengers cartoon that is it separate or just became something else like or they or Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes ran for two seasons and then pretty quickly was replaced like pretty quickly as in there was not a short gap I'm sorry there was not a long gap between season two and the first season of a new show Avengers Assemble but the um, continuities are separate. Okay. So there's really only the two seasons. Okay. Mm-hmm. I wasn't ever sure if they were related and just got renamed, like kind of like Justice League and then Justice League Unlimited and things like that. Or The marketing was weird. I think they wanted people who were watching Earth's Mightiest Heroes to like not question it as they went into Avengers Assemble. Mm-hmm. But the continuities are definitely different. The animation style is different. Is it? Okay. You, yeah. But Earth's Mightiest Heroes is essential Marvel viewing. Avengers Assemble is not bad. But Earth's Mighty Heroes is so good. It's like the spectacular Spider-Man of Avengers. Okay. Well, if it's only two seasons, um, I love. You totally can. I love that Whirlwind is now Jan's chauffeur. This is the status quo that I've been waiting for. Yep. Because it's just like background reality for a long yep. time. If you're indexing this issue for your website, you have to put him in because his head's right there on page six. It even has a line. Yes, Miss Van Dyne. But yeah, they don't play it up. You'd think. That'd be a thing, but they don't. <laughs> they do They do remind you, but it gets to be where they stop reminding you. Mm-hmm. And I remember my Avengers read-through that I was like, they don't say anything. Is that still uh-huh. the bad guy or is it not? Well, and, yeah. if I didn't know that, I would have assumed that this got resolved when the whirlwind got away last issue. And just like he didn't go back being her chauffeur again, you know? That's what I would have right. assumed. But if you think about it. There was no connection to that chauffeur business, and he did get away, so he could easily continue to just be her chauffeur. Yep. Which I he guess has is access what to her at all the time now. Yep. Hercules doesn't want to wait a year. He was told, You're exiled for a year. And he's like, Ugh, I only have three more issues, but I want to go home. Mm-hmm. I like that idea because we all know Odin and Zeus are hotheads and change their mind all the time. So if all he has to do is climb Mount Olympus real fast. Just to see what's up. Just to say, hey, come on, Father, get over it. Like, that should work. I didn't like at first that he was flying a plane, but then I realized, actually, you know, we're actually supposed to kind of argue that Olympus and Asgard are sort of like super advanced beings, so they should know mm-hmm. how to fly planes. That's fine. It looks a little And he weird. says Hawkeye told him how. Yeah, well, that's even worse then, because it's like, <laughs> just real quick, <laughs> here's how you fly a plane real quick. I guess we could assume Tony Stark automates it so easy that anybody can fly it, maybe. Right. Just land this plane. I am reading the event, the uh, the Hercules miniseries from the 80s right now because it's in the reprints in the back of the Transformers comics that I'm reading from the 80s. Mm. 
Um, and I think he has a space chariot of space horses, and that's how he gets through space. So definitely not flying a spaceship there. Did Thor go home and find Asgard deserted also at some point in our readings, or am I making that up? That probably happens sometime. It may have done, but it's the sort of thing that was resolved by the end of the issue. I'm not sure if it's true or if I maybe I just read it somewhere else in my lifetime. It's probably a story that's happened, but I'd be interested in more Olympus because we haven't really got any. And it's Hercules, so theoretically we should be able to explore that side of Marvel's mm-hmm. celestial universe. Um, I mentioned earlier, this is the first time that Magneto uses the word evil. Stanley always would say he never made Magneto say that he was evil because to his perspective, he's not evil. Right. That makes a lot of sense. I honestly, I don't know if that was by intent or by accident. If he realized he never said evil and with all the development that he got later, he's like, yes, Magneto was never evil. But Roy does have him say evil here. How about we headcanon that as... He called it the Brotherhood of Mutants. The newspaper spun it Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. So now he's just leaning into it to be like as a statement or something. He's owning it? He's owning it. I wonder, Mike, do you think that he has some special attachment to Pietro and Wanda? Well, to be honest, I don't really know at this point. (laughs) Sometimes he does. (laughs) I'm kind of lost these days on what the status of all that is. I think officially right now it's been decided he doesn't so much, but, you know, I like the idea here that he thinks he, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how they reveal that because I haven't actually read the revelation but do you where think, Wanda finds out. Do you think Roy Thomas writing this flashback thinks that, or is that just later retconned? Um, I don't think that Roy Thomas writing this flashback knows that. It kind of makes sense because here they are in the middle of some, you know, I don't know where they are. Gypsy town or something in the some third world country, and there's Magneto. So why was he there? Maybe he was there to spy on the relationship. Um, to investigate the. I know he he lived in Eastern Europe with his wife for a while, and they when he lost his wife and daughter, I think he was in that part of the world. So those could be relatively close chronologically, but I don't know. I don't know. Do, is he supposed? I mean, I don't know. That's some time we have to go before we read all this. But is he, is Magneto himself supposed to know this secret yet or no? That's what I, as I was kind of wondering, if he, in, you know, according to retcons, knows that he has an attachment to them that could explain why he's so into them. If he doesn't, then he's just like, forget Mastermind, and I hate the toad still here, but what can I do? I'm going to go get me those two siblings that are so powerful. But, you know, that also works for me because he really did hate Mastermind. Uh, he did. And he doesn't like the Toad. And he really always was trying to guilt uh, Wanda and Pietro to stay because he liked them, I think. Mm-hmm. So that works for me that he doesn't look up Mastermind again. <laughs> One thing about the flashback is I don't think we'd ever seen Magneto's perspective on this. No. We saw them getting persecuted out of the town and they said that Magneto helped them, but we never saw that connection made no it was way less panels and it was from wanda's point of view more than anything Mm -hmm. this one's almost not from wanda's point of view it's more from quicksilver and magneto's point of view Mm -hmm. um i start to run out of things to say when we get to the action i like that wanda told pietro that she was tired of him telling her to stand back yeah she's like i'm an avenger yep stop making me wait back here 
I know you're faster, but if you want me to, you know, don't tell me to wait. Just go do what you're going to do. I forgot that he he defeats Wanda because he wraps her in chains, but he notes that she can't use her power unless she has access to her hands. It's like, I wonder mm. if that's still true because even now, like, it seems like she has to do handsy things or, or is that like a old idea? Well, it was the very first time she used it. They're like, you know what happens if you carelessly gesture at something? Mm-hmm. That was like the first time she ever used her power. So I feel like it is still handsy, but I'm not sure. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. Good issue. Um, I liked it. I like. I think John Buscema is looking a lot more like John Buscema, which makes me happy because he's yes. a pretty good artist. Uh, Magneto's a pretty cool villain. I mean, it's like it's in the Avengers, but that's okay because we've got the uh, the mutant twins, so kind of applies to them, or more than anybody, it applies to them really. Uh, so I'm interested to see what happens next because Qu- yeah, cause Quicksilver, so like you know, if we recall the last couple issues, he's been feeling very anti. Uh, homo sapien. He has been so, anti-human. And he does mention that here. He's like, you know, I don't have any love for humans, but I'm not going to work for you. So maybe he'll get convinced next issue. Ooh. The next issue box just talks about Magneto holding them captive. It mainly hypes up the Black Knight. It's like, wait oh, that's a second. Right. Is that the bad guy who's back or is it something new? It's the Black Knight show. He's going to defeat Magneto with his sword, his metal sword. And then uh, Ebon Blade. Oh, yeah, there you go. It's in the fine print. All right. Here it is, kids. What's next? Anything interesting? Anything interesting? Now, I'll confess. Mike and I, I, I figure out the order based on our process months before we ever get to the actual issue. And then we just do things alternating and we never make an exception. So the fact that I get to cover this is just a happy accident. But Marvel Superheroes 12 featuring Captain Marvel. So, um, so prior to this, this title has been a reprint, one through eleven, just total reprint. Yeah. So, um, Fantasy Masterpieces, the comic that I was talking about earlier, ran eleven bi-monthly issues. The first three were just monster reprints, and then with issue four, or maybe it was with issue three. Three was either the first or the last. I don't know. They started bringing in. Captain America reprints, Submariner reprints, Human Torch reprints. Just last issue, they started doing Black Knight. In this issue, they started with the Destroyer. And they're so now there's almost no monster stories. It's just a bunch of Marvel superhero reprints. Except the first story is no longer a reprint. Oh, wait. So you're saying this is the first time this is even titled Marvel Superhero? Yes. Awesome. I didn't catch on. I didn't pick up on that before. Okay. Yeah, they changed the title for this issue. Um, But like Marvel Tales is running at the same time. It has the same format. It's an oversized book full of reprints. Marvel Collector's Adam Classics is an oversized book full of reprints. But those are reprinting current Marvel stories. These are reprinting Golden Age Marvel stories, except for the lead. Yeah. So. But we're going to skip that Marvel. and cover Captain America, right? Oh, oh, you want to do Captain Marvel? Okay, <laughs> I, I, I do want to do it. Okay. And by the way, we're not going to be talking about the reprint stories. Basically, right now, we're acknowledging that they exist, and then we're never going to talk about them again. Yeah. Um, the coming of Captain Marvel, Phase One, and so it begins. The greatest new superhero of all, presented with pardonable pride by Stan the Man Lee and Gene the Dean Colon, embellished by Frank Jacoya, lettered by Artie Simic. All right, there's a starship approaching the planet Earth, having arrived from the far-off galaxy ruled by the mysterious Kree. There are th- several people running this ship, but there are three that we care about. Marvell, who is a soldier here to lead a mission on the planet Earth, his uh, paramour, 
the medic on the ship, whose name is Una, and his superior officer, Colonel Yon Rog. Now, Colonel Yon Rog is a bit of a tool, and Marvel and Una whisper behind his back a lot about how he's a jerk. But Marvel's like, I just gotta do what he says because he's the boss, you know. But don't worry, I'm I'm, I'm fine. Um, they're here because the Century Four Five Nine transmitted is having a problem so they sent ronan the accuser to like investigate and take care of humanity that didn't go well so now they're sending marvell to investigate and take care of humanity and basically destroy everybody who's responsible for causing problems um so they go to uh earth um they send down a shuttle that zaps Marvel down to the, um, the surface. He is in his green and white um, Saturn outfit, and he's holding a canister. And he talks about how you know his helmet and everything, his costume helps him um, because his power is greater than anything on Earth because of the lighter gravity of this world. But also. Um, if he's outside of his helmet, he's going to be exposed to the alien atmosphere, and that's bad. But at the same time, he does need to get some Earth clothes. So he's walking around on Earth, and he happens to stumble upon a missile. There's a rocket getting ready to launch, and they're doing the countdown. And they launch it, but um, I think, yeah, his canister, whatever he's carrying in his canister, has a radioactive signature to it. And so whenever the rocket launches, the radiation from his canister is so powerful, it messes with the instruments on the rocket. And they, uh, the people who are controlling it by computer from afar lose control, so they send the destruct command. And now they're going to go have to investigate what caused the radiation. And Marvel's like, oh no, they're going to investigate and find me. I better leap around because I can leap long distances with this lighter gravity world. Uh, the army find him. They start shooting at him. He dodges bullets. He tries to hide. He pulls out his I can do anything I want it to universal beam blaster, sets it to wide angle black light, shines it on the soldiers so they can't see him, leaps away, finds some clothes, but without his helmet, he can only breathe earth air for an hour. Uh, and he decides to go get a room at a hotel, signs his name at the uh, front so he calls his marvel name marvel and uh yeah he has a um he gets this pain in his wrist as they transport a communication beacon down to his wrist so the yonrog can talk to and monitor marvel and uh, he's like oh no this means i can never be free i can be contacted anywhere i want and um the supreme intelligence wants him to do things at the very, very end of the story, we found out that he's being monitored not just by his boss, Colonel Yonrog, but also, like, the bosses back home on the Kree planet. So um, they're like, you better carry out your orders or you will die. Now, as I'm, re as I'm recapping this, I can't remember exactly. Do we get any information about why he's so reluctant to carry out his orders? Because he's leaving his girlfriend alone with Tool, who wants her. That's it. And that guy okay. assigned Captain so to this mission to get alone with his girl. So he doesn't want to be on this mission because he'd rather be up there with Una mm -hmm. so that Yon Rog can't make a move. Right. And so but while he's here, he also seems like he could also die. So that's a problem. Yeah. yeah. So he's going to do his mission, but there's also a whole lot of threat. You have to do this mission. Mm -hmm. 
So, yeah, um, I kind of feel like that there were more pages planned because the last page ends really abruptly. Mm-hmm. And that big next issue, the attack almost feels like it's covering up what should have been another caption box that like leads into a next page. Oh. But um, other than that yeah, structural maybe. weirdness, what would you think of this? Uh, I have mixed feelings. Like, uh, first of all, I'm always very excited when a new character shows up on our show, even if that doesn't last very long. It's fun. Something mm-hmm. new, something different. The cover is spectacular. I've always loved the original Captain Marvel outfit. Uh, yes. Never read any of these stories with him wearing it, but I always thought it was cool. I I think I like it more in nostalgia than in his original stories. Like when it showed up in um, Ultimate Secret, I think it was. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, yeah, it's original Captain Marvel. Yeah. And same thing whenever it's in Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, the cartoon. I was just like, yes, this is jazz. And then but, uh, um, Genesville started wearing it in his series and Alex Ross was doing the covers. So you got a lot of really cool mm. paintings of this outfit. Um, you know what I read though is Gene Colan doesn't like to have credit for co-creating this character because he doesn't like him and also is really embarrassed by the outfit he came up with. <laughs> so it's like, dang, I really like it, Gene. What's your problem with it? He just thought it was really generic and was never happy with it. I can see that. It's pretty 60s retro. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. It just kind of feels like a typical sci-fi character of the day. But that makes it kind of unusual mm-hmm. in the Marvel world yeah. because we don't have Flash Gordon. No. So maybe that – and maybe, you know, we're looking at it from 2020, whatever year this is, 21. So it is kind of retro and cool. But back then it wasn't retro. It was just what it was. Uh, so, Yeah. I like the art. We always say ha- that about Gene. The art is great, and it was always. Great. Um, the story was okay. It's like it's an intro. We'll see where it goes. I guess as to whether it's a good story or not. Mm-hmm. I'm partially hooked, but a lot of it was also just kind of like okay. It's it's very decompressed. Mm-hmm. It moves. Not a whole lot happens in 15 pages, mm-hmm. which is compared okay. to the 11 page Amazing Fantasy 15. Yeah, but also the missile thing. It's like. Did that need to happen? Or was there some other thing he could have encountered first or whatever? But once he gets into street clothes, I kind of found it more interesting. Right. right. Like him trying to hide out in a hotel and, and Starman it and all that stuff. That's kind of neat. We get a lot of typical Marvel stuff. We get a love triangle. We get a fatal flaw. Um, I liked the Superman references. I agree. I was going to say, is this? are they trying to be a little Superman-y with this guy? They've got – I mean, it can't be. It can't be accidental. They even do the whole not a plain bird line. Yeah, but also like his original – wasn't Superman's original powers was because Krypton had such a heavy gravity or something? Right. right. The, lighter the lighter gravity. gravity. He's, his leaping yeah. around and everything. Uh-huh. That's very yeah. early Superman. Um, I even like – I've always liked this too, that the Kree come in different colors based on their rank. That's kind of Star Trek-y. I like that stuff. Their um, colonels are blue apparently. The co- yeah. yeah, the colors of their uniforms. Mm-hmm. So he is a captain. He does say something like, hey, they may not like me anymore, but I am a captain. So he made his way to captain before he became um, ill-favored, I guess. And I don't know if the ill-favor is from everybody or if the entire source of him being ill-favored is from this one jerky colonel. Uh, But it seems like even in the end, the other guys are like, if you don't succeed, you're dead. It's like, wow, thanks. Yeah, and they, you know, Yon Rog is like one slip, maybe forever fatal to your beloved captain. So he seems to be on a pretty important mission, but also like nobody trusts him to do it. Um, which is why, you know, some of what I know about the character, his reluctance to carry out his orders that comes later, was kind of informing my synopsis here. I don't think we actually say that yet, but 
he's here to destroy humanity mm-hmm. or at least punish them severely for the whole uh, Century 459 thing. But I feel like he's much less equipped for this task than Ronan was. Or the Century. I feel like it's gonna, right, or the Century. It's like reverse power. Like the Century failed. Well, let's some, send somebody less powerful. Well, he failed too. Well, let's send somebody even less powerful. True, true. The uh, Kree don't seem to know exactly what they're doing. But I also was thinking like, it's impossible because we already know who the Kree are and everything. But like, if this was back in the day and you didn't know, and we've had hints of this Kree that's coming, and we saw Ronin, was that? Did we assume that that was a typical Kree? Was Ronin, or was he like a super powerful version, or that? And now these guys just almost seem kind of normal, and yet billions of years ago they seeded humanity into inhumanizing, and they left a century robot. And it's like, They're technologically more advanced. Yeah. They have an epically long history. Yeah. Does that? But they don't, they don't seem to be like advanced beings. I was, I was just wondering what people back in the day were assuming the Kree might be like versus what they ended up being like, which is just kind of these guys. Right. right. Like, like Star Trek, Trek, Starship Enterprise, but in, but in 20, 1967 instead of the 23rd century. Mm-hmm. And also, um, how come they're not blue? Or that Was Ronin blue? I don't remember. No, that's a that's a rewrite later. The changing of skin color comes later on, and then Captain Marvel is retconned as being an unusual instance of his species rather than the norm. Maybe that's why they're made racism. Maybe. Oh, yeah, maybe. We've seen the Supreme Intelligence, but they're invoking him like a deity in this. When did we see the Supreme Intelligence? In, um, in the Ronin issue. Oh, really? We saw the green lettuce head. Yeah. Wow, okay. And that's also kind of weird for a very advanced culture to be uh, so dependent on this one thing that tells them what to do. Yeah. Uh, but that, but I have also accepted that already because that's how the Kree are. We know that. My memory said that we would meet Carol in this issue. I was mistaken, so I was a little surprised and disappointed. Mm-hmm. She is in this original Captain Marvel series. Mm-hmm. I just, she's not here yet. I'm curious to know what his is. His mission just blanket make the world pay, but there's no like particular way to do that. So is that what he's going to do is try and figure out how to ruin earth or does he already have an idea on how to ruin earth? We'll find out. Um, yeah. And then I also want to know how his mask that has nothing over the mouth helps him breathe when he puts it on. But otherwise I'm looking forward to more. Yeah. yeah. I'm just looking over like, what is he supposed to do? Cause they say our international century failed in his mission as has Ronan. Now you have been chosen for the task. You must succeed or die. So is he supposed to do the same thing the Sentry was supposed to do? I don't know. It's weird. But he he does say he holds the fate of a planet in his hands. I believe the Sentry's mission was to just record until the Kree came back, right? Right. But then then he got messed with, and that's when he showed off his power. But then Ronan was there to punish them for breaking their tape recorder. Um, But the FF beat him up. So I don't know what... Marvel's supposed to, but we'll see. All righty. Should we move on? cool. It was exciting. We'll see a new character. Yes. Now we're going to go back to an old character that everybody's tired of, Spider-Man. Oh, my gosh. Spider-Man again? Number 56. God, this guy. He's not even from space or anything. Uh, Is this the wrap-up or Spidey's final disaster? Spidey joins Doc Ock. Oh, that's the cover. The inside's called Disaster. Uh, Let's see. Guess who just lost his memory, and guess who's been conned into believing Doc Ock is his partner in crime? Spidey, that's who. Nuff said. Produced by Smiling Stan Lee and Jazzy John Romita. Inked by Dick Mickey DeMeo and lettered by Sam Rosen. Ignored by those of little faith. 
So yeah, he's helping Doc Ock load up that um, whatever it was, the thing that kills technology. The nullifier. And there's also this other one guy that's with him the entire issue that I don't – I keep waiting for him to be revealed to be the rhino or something, but nothing happens. He's just there. Um, the purple dude? The purple guy. Like he seems like he's important, but he's not. Anyway, and Spidey the entire time is helping, but he's also like, why is every instinct in me to punch Dr. Octopus not help him? But since I don't know who I am or what's going on, he seems to be the only link I have. So logically I'm just going to suffer – for right now because I don't want to like lose him because maybe he's the only thing I have for answers, right? Kind of makes sense. So anyway, police chase the van and Doc Ock opens it and shoots the doohickey and it kills their car. Um, They go back home and Doc Ock realizes that the thing he stole isn't quite fit as a fiddle. It wasn't finished. Uh, I don't know what they're missing. Oh, they're missing isotope 16, that thing, you know. Like when your v- mm-hmm. like your VCR doesn't work, Isotope sixteen. So that's WD forty. Oh, so he tells Spider Man, "Go get it," and Spider Man's like, "I," and he's all, "Oh, and another thing, take off your mask while I'm thinking about it." And Spider Man's about to do it, then he goes, "Wait, if we work together, you've never seen me without my mask before. I think you're a liar, and really, all I want to do is choke you." So they start fighting. Um, and then finally, Doc Ock's like, enough. I was totally kidding about the mask thing. Of course, I've seen your face. I was just testing you, you know, because he really wants Spider-Man to continue to help him. So he draws on a map where Spider-Man has to go to get Isotope 16. Spider-Man agrees to do it, even though, again, he's still like, I just don't think this is right, but I don't know what else to do. Um, Harry and Gwen go to Aunt May and stupidly ask her if they've ever, if they've seen Peter lately because he's been missing for four days. She goes into a coma. No, I'm just kidding. But she does start crying. And then MJ shows up with a headline, extra Spider-Man joins Dr. Octopus. And then Mary, and then it's like, and, and he takes pictures of that horrible monster. So he's probably dead or something. Thanks, kids. Uh, we cut to a big meeting with, with uh, not J. Jonah Jameson, but his son, John Jameson, Jingleheimer Smith. And they're working on how to, like, get the thing back from Dr. Octopus. Oh, and there's this guy who's like a, uh, I don't know if he's retired or if he's still part of the police force or something. He's a retired captain. Retired captain from the police force. Oh, his name's Stacy or something. And hey, he gets a phone call or he calls and it's, uh, yeah, Gwen calls him. Turns out that's her dad, even though he's 90. And he's like, Peter Parker, no, I haven't seen him. She's like, oh, well, I don't know. I'm a little worried. Uh, His aunt's worried is why I'm calling. She's like, is it just his aunt? Anyway, we cut to Spider-Man following the map. He goes into the thing. He gets the isotope. He beats up some army guys. He escapes. Now they're all convinced that Spider-Man's evil. He accidentally drops the map, and he thinks about grabbing it with his web, but he's just like, I don't want to. I don't know why I don't want to, but I don't want to. I just want to leave it there and get caught because I'm feeling bad about this whole thing, and I deserve to go to prison. Um, So they find the map, and they're like, hey, this is the trail back to Doc Ock's hideout. Cool. J. Jonah Jameson is upset because nobody can find Peter. Uh, Peter comes back to the hideout. He gives him the isotope, but then Dr. Octopus immediately notices he doesn't have the map. He's like, you idiot. Now someone's going to find it and track us here, so I'm done with you. I'm just going to kill you now. And they start fighting. Uh, Spider-Man fights back, uh, but they get interrupted by the army. And then what happens? Smoke grenades get thrown in there, so nobody can see anything. 
Um, Dr. Octopus loses because they use the weapon against him, so his his technological uh, uh, arms die. Spider-Man could have got away, but he just stands there and he's like, no, I don't think I should get away. Uh, I'm no partner. Well, he, can, he confesses, yeah, because they think he, the whole time they're fighting, Octopus is like, Spider-Man, help me. You're my partner. Right. And he's and like, no, I'm not. Not only am I not your partner, but I'm not even going to try and escape. He could have easily escaped and he instead just reports himself to John Jameson and he's like, I'm no partner of his. I don't know. Uh, but then they're like, okay, well. We're gonna have Whenever to they decide to take Spider-Man in, <laughs> we're gonna have to arrest like, you. Maybe I shouldn't. He's like, him. we're gonna have to arrest you. He's like, uh, no, actually, on second thought, out. So as soon as they see that they've arrested Doc Ock, he just takes off, and he still doesn't know who he is. He pulls his mask off and looks at his reflection in a window. Doesn't help. Um, so he's a man with no. Who's tomorrow. Barry Allen? Yeah, who's Barry Allen? Next, the coming of Kazar. Yeah. Yeah. Captain Stacy. Yeah. Why is he so old? For the same reason that May's old. Yeah, I guess. Just like I was really trying to think about that. Like, was that a phenomenon in the '60s that like people's parents were ridiculously older than they should be? And is that because of World War II? I don't know. Is that a real thing, or do they just assume everybody in fiction who's a parent is old? I think people have kids both earlier and later than we're used to now, mm-hmm. because less access to birth control, they're having kids a lot earlier, but also less access to birth control, they're having kids a lot later. Mm-hmm in life than that we're used to. So having old parents of some of your kids, I think was a lot more common. I could be wrong. My stepdaughter is 17 and I am 46 and I feel too old for that. My wife is right. My wife is 41. So that kind of works a little better. This dude is a retired police captain with a cane and he looks like he's 95. I'm 41. And if I were to, you know, find somebody to have a life with and get married again. The whole like kids thing would be off the table. There's no way I'm restarting that experience. Maybe he's remarried. That's true. That's true. We don't know. Um, okay. So, so there are some weird things about this story. Octopus talks about how he stole this from Stark's factory. And I'm like, didn't you steal it before going to Stark's factory? Absolutely. Like from the convoy. So some weird scripting errors there. Yeah. That's why John Jameson's after him because he stole it from them. Mm-hmm. Also at the end, his nullifier makes his uh, arms stop working. And at one point it says that they're coming off. We never see them come off, but then in the last panel they're off. I don't know how that happened. Same way it happened getting them on. Like somehow he can take them on and off without taking his shirt off. Yeah, because he was in May's house Uh and he just like suddenly has his arms on. I feel like they should be drawing the girdle on the outside and then it would make a lot more sense. That would make everything easier to understand. Yeah. But instead it's like they take his shirt off. Somehow you have to shimmy those arms through the holes in the shirt even though they're eight foot long arms. Um, Take his shirt off take the thing off and then put a shirt back on, even though the shirt never has holes and you can never see the girdle under the skin tight shirt. It really doesn't make any sense. There was a good dialogue bit with Spider-Man whenever he's, you know, doing the whole, I'm not going to take my mask off thing. He says, if you don't know who I am, how can we be partners? Mm -hmm. Which is a really great question that the Avengers will bring up with him later. How can you be an Avenger if we don't know who you are? Yeah, but I also kind of thought, I bet we've had multiple villains team up who don't know who they are. Probably. Because that's how superheroes and villains work. But he's also, what can he remember and not remember? Can he not remember other characters? Like he remembers nothing? Or 
Spider-Man does, here? Does he know that the Avengers exist? No, I'm saying that like you know, much later in life, when the when he's on the Avengers and like the scrolls have happened and everything, the Avengers will be like, okay, if you want to stay on our team, we've got to be able to trust you. We got to know who you are. I'm saying like the question that Peter brings up here is a good question that applies. In no, situation. yeah, I know, but like he's also wondering why he wears a mask, and I'm just like, do you not know that superheroes exist because you can't remember? Or oh yeah, how well does, he's how, he, does, how does memory work? I guess his mask is full face mask though. Mm. And I think it's interesting that he's like, if I'm wearing a mask, I must be a criminal Uh because that's exactly what people tend to think about him. Yeah. That he's in this full body costume with a mask and everything. Mm -hmm. He's creepy. Right. And there's actually, whenever he's going through the hallways to get the thing, get the isotope, I think Ramita does a good job. Make him look like a creeper, Mm -hmm. make him look like a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah, but I just wonder why he went that direction when there are superheroes in the world. There are superheroes in the world. Yeah, I don't know. He doesn't ever encounter any of them here. Maybe he doesn't remember them. He's really fighting his nature because I always think of Spider-Man as kind of an instinctual character. Mm -hmm. Like his body is all about protecting himself, protecting him. And the way he fights, I always pictured in my head is like his fight. His fighting is very reactive to whatever the situation is, you know, because that's how his body works. he can sense something coming and he goes faster than that something, right? So like here in this whole story, it's like instinctively I feel like I want to punch Dr. Octopus, but I'm ignoring that because I don't know what's really going on. So it's like he's miserable the entire story. I was thinking about the whole instinctive spider sense thing because whenever he first felt his spider sense, the first thing he did was leap instinctively onto the side of the building. Mm-hmm. Here he's feeling those same kinds of triggers, but – but he's forcing. He doesn't, he doesn't know what they mean. Yeah, that's true. He that's right. He forgot that what a spider sense even means. Mm-hmm. Which you're right is interesting because he never had a problem figuring that out initially. But this is more nuanced. Maybe, this isn't like his spider sense goes off because something was trying to punch him. This is his spider sense is going off just standing next to a filthy person. Right. So it's like he's not actually in immediate danger here. It's not like a car's about to hit him. He's just like, why is my head buzzing every time Dr. Octopus points at me? And maybe there are different kinds of spider sense signals. Yeah. You know, we don't we don't experience it. Yeah. So. And then once they do get in a fight, he fights just fine. So it's like he at no point does he go, I don't know how to fight. I can't remember. Like his body knows how to beat up Dr. Octopus. Um, again, we get Captain Stacy in this. He's going to be a big deal going forward. Um I kind of feel like Robert's. Did you say not again? Because Robertson, Robertson's secured. No, we get, we get Captain Stacy in this for the first time, right? Yeah, yeah. first appearance. He's a big deal going forward. Oh yeah, not not and again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like Ramita is bringing in like his own cast of characters. Mm-hmm. We have Joe Robertson being added. Ned Leeds is made more important again. Um, Captain Stacy. I just I don't know. I feel like there's there's stuff that Ramita is doing to change up this book. It's pretty cool. I like Joe because, like, J. Jonah Jameson's is like, my own son had all the scoop and he didn't give it to me. And just like, well, he's a colonel. He can't give you classified. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't need to hear your logic. And he's like, where's that Where's that Parker <laughs> guy? And Betty's like, you should just have him on payroll so that he actually hangs around. And Joe's like, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah, that's a great idea too, but I don't want to hear about <laughs> like everybody has a great idea. He doesn't want to hear everybody's great ideas. If it's not my idea, it's not a good idea. Yeah. Gwen has her headband, but it's like a head scarf that she has tied on the side. Mm-hmm. And it's super cute, but it's it's also a little bit odd because it's not the same headband she's going to have all the time later. I think these two were idiots to bother Aunt May because, Jesus, have they not heard the stories about every time you sneeze funny around Aunt May, she collapses? 
Right. right. Like you can't find Peter. Keep that on the download for a little while until you thoroughly investigate every other avenue, maybe. But well, I think Gwen is a bit more in tune with what's going on. Hmm. Um, I, mean, I mean, they came looking for Peter because they're looking for Peter, but they expected him to be there. The fact that he's not, they're kind of surprised by. Um, but then Mary Jane comes in and just brings in so much. But she knows. Not, oh, not, yeah. not that not that that's how they're writing it, obviously, but I'm just I'm applying my own retcon. Right. <laughs> According to the retcons that Mary Jane knows, she comes in Old and is like, hey y'all. Did you see the Spider-Man headline while you're looking for Peter? Did you see the Spider-Man headline? I don't know where Peter Parker is, but look what Spider-Man's up to, y'all. I love that second panel. It's like she's holding up the answer and nobody's looking at her. Right. And I kind of like the idea that this early Mary Jane is having fun with her secret knowledge. Uh-huh. Like she's not exposing his secret, no. but she's also kind of like, Hmm, I wonder where Clark is while Superman is fighting this. Why is that? Why can no one else figure this thing out that I know? Right. How come Matt Murdock and Mike Murdock are never in the same room together? <laughs> and which one should I marry? Right. Okay. Last question for me, at least. Is it just a thing that, Superheroes who have lost their grounding in life go meet Kazar. Oh, wow. So far, huh? Yeah. That is a little weird for the next. Like, we're left with Spider-Man still not knowing who he is, and the next issue is Kazar. How's that going to help us? Next issue, Kazar. Yeah, I don't know. They say he's a guest uh, hero next issue, or should we say guest villain? Mm. Hey, that's the month. Oh, shoot. That's the month. So Okay. Where do we... That's in October, right? That's October, which should be all in October. Yeah, it looks like it finally. So that's good. So we've got quite the rundown. Now, we have decided that when we get to the next calendar year, we're going to start splitting this up by week. Um, But for now, we've got quite the list of stories to run down to choose our most and least beloved from. So, starting at the beginning of October 3rd, Sergeant Fury 49, where they go to Tarawa and they lose Izzy. Oh, yeah. Then Strange Tales 164, where Doctor Strange doesn't fight Nightmare. Instead, he's just in this really weird nightmare world trying to save Victoria Bentley. And he finds out at the end that she's held by the Scientist Supreme. And then Nick Fury fights Yellow Claw. In a new way. Oh, we find out that he's dying. He's having blackouts. And at the end, his life is threatened because they're going to shoot him. Right. Um, Thor 147, The Wrath of Odin. Um, Thor leaves behind the Serpent Society. Not Serpent Society. Ah! I just saw Princess Python. The Circus of Crime. And then Loki shows up and they start fighting. Um, and then Odin's like, I'm going to have my revenge on on Thor. And also we have the Inhumans where we find the never before revealed answer to why the Inhumans are Inhumans. They're changed by the Kree. Tales of Suspense 97, where Iron Man doesn't fight Whiplash, but it's really teased and he gets really close. And then uh, Captain America, so it begins where he fights some bad guys and then goes off to meet the Black Panther. Tales to Astonish 99, the Incredible Hulk, when the monster wakes, um, he turns into Bruce and tries to help them, but can't, so he turns into the banner. And helps them fight the Lord, the Legion of the Living Lightning, and blows them all up in a volcano. And then Namor is like, huh, 
I should really stop my people from blowing up the humans because they're going to blow themselves up in the process. Oh, no, they think I'm dead. I want to go fight the humans and redeem myself. Fantastic Four 70, When Fall the Mighty, um, where the mad thinker makes Ben fight the Fantastic Four, gets captured at the end. Ben's going to go fight the Fantastic Four. Um, no, no, no. One of the thinkers, androids, is going to go fight the Fantastic Four at the end. The X-Men 39, whew, fighting factor three. All of that nonsense gets resolved. They get new uh, um, costumes. And then Scott is on the run in the origins of the X-Men. Daredevil 35. <laughs> I feel like this is so much. Daredevil 35 with the um, the trapster who puts traps on Daredevil. And Matt upsets Karen because he's not too sympathetic to Mike because Mike doesn't exist. And then we're finally into today's coverage. The Avengers 47 where Magneto shows up and grabs the siblings. And Captain Marvel in Marvel Super Heroes 12. Marvel arrives at Earth to do a mission. And Amazing Spider-Man 56, where Dr. Octopus is beaten, but Spider-Man still has no memory. Gosh. Yeah, gosh. This is hard because none of them are like super jumping out at me as the definitive winner. Yeah, I mean, I have what I'm going to pick as the winner, but it's kind of a little bit arbitrary. Um. Hmm. I was going to say, say, my winner, I'm going to say, is um, Captain Marvel. Okay. Actually, that's not what I wrote in the... um, I wrote my winner down ahead of time. I wrote the Inhumans. Oh, yeah. Because of the whole Kree revelation. I've been looking forward to that. But I've also been looking forward to Captain Marvel. Wow, I'm torn between two things I've been looking forward to for a long time. I'm going to say Captain Marvel. Okay. So I just changed my vote. Okay. My least favorite? I... Think the thing that I care the least about in our entire lineup right now is Agent of Shield. That's definitely a good choice. I can't think of a thing. Yeah, I mean, I know that the X Men was kind of a wimp balloon at the end, but new costumes. Um, but new costumes, and it ended a whole big arc that we were tired of. So yay! <laughs> it's like success, and also the stuff with Scott was good, so that elevates the X Men. Um, but. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with Shield. Shield could easily be my least favorite, but I'm going to pick Submariner because mm-hmm. I remember summarizing that and even then thinking, what the hell is this story? Like just boats flying around and you, they're all purple and you can't tell what's what. And like like you said in your synopsis just now, like he waffles between wanting to kill the humans and not kill the humans. It's like, what the? <laughs> Whatever. I'm just tired <laughs> of him. So that's my least favorite. And then I'm really waffling between Thor 147 and Avengers as my favorite. Okay. Okay. They're both pretty good, and I enjoyed reading them. But but I'm gonna give it to I'm gonna give it to Thor. Let's go Thor. I don't know the last time I gave Thor any love, but uh, it's been a while. I liked the setup. Avengers was also good, but I thought maybe the Dane Whitman stuff was a little on the weak side in terms of his motivation and things like that. But Thor was a cool setup. He gets arrested. Loki bails him out, and they get into a fist fight, and then in the end, like, Balder and Sif are there to, like, take him on. So it was, like, a good to be continued, I thought. So, yeah. Okay. I don't even know. Well, I don't good, know if that's Thor even, hasn't got a lot of love lately. I don't know if that's better than Spider-Man, even, but, like, saying Spider-Man all the time gets old. But Spider-Man was pretty solid. Spider-Man was solid, but it's also kind of, like, run-of-the-mill for Spider-Man. Yeah. It wasn't, like, standout for Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I liked it. I didn't, like, oh, my gosh, Spider-Man. I think the last part where like uh, 
Doc Ock wins was hard. Although I do think it's interesting they didn't wrap it up. Like, he still has no memory. That was kind of surprising to me. I thought it'd be over by now. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there you go. Okay, that was a quick and easy um, voting process. So opening up a new month of November 1967, we haven't been harping on it, but I have been feeling the rapid passage of this year. And November and December are inherently going to slow down because we are getting more books every month. But I do feel like, wow, this is uh, this has been a fast year. So what's the new for November for us? So next episode, we're going to have the debut issue of Captain Savage and his Leatherneck Raiders. Right. Okay. A series I have never read a single word of, but I'm curious to see what it's going to be. It's not super short-lived, but also not super long. I think it only goes like 18 or 20 issues. And this month is the last issue of the uh, the one I just said was my least favorite, right? Of um, Namor? Tales to Astonish 100. It goes to 101. Oh, okay. Well, never mind then. That's December. How can you end something on yeah. 101? <laughs> it feels so weird, right? <laughs> 101 issues, 101 Dalmatians. Yep. 101 okay, Atlanteans. Sergeant Fury 50, The Invasion Begins. Okay, so last issue, they had to leave Izzy behind in a Japanese POW camp um, because they had to finish the mission. And they had to leave Tarawa. Tarawa's invasion was going on. And, uh, well, no, they had actually started the invasion yet. But um, the thing they were there for was over. They had to get off uh, base and go back home. And Izzy was left behind. So all the howlers, like, we got to go back and rescue Izzy. And Fury's like, yeah, I agree. But we don't have a way to get there. It's an island in the Pacific Ocean, and we're on the Allied base in Australia. How are we going to get there? So um, they're in Australia because they rescued an Australian um, operative last issue. They've brought him home, and they have not been shipped back to the UK yet. So they're in Australia. Um, Australian guys, like, hey, thanks for doing me a solid. I'm going to go now. Uh, but first, I got to take y'all over to the um, the Admiral Turner. And Admiral Turner's like, yeah. So we're getting ready to actually do the invasion of Tarawa. We're gonna start trying to take back uh, the Pacific Theater, and invading Tarawa is our first main goal. And they're all the holler. And also, you know, we've heard that um, Izzy is there. So y'all are gonna go help the invasion. But your main job is to rescue Izzy. And I keep wanting to call him Izzy Klein, but it's not Klein. It's Izzy Cohen, I think. Um, and the Australian guy uh, starts to leave, and the Admiral's like, no, 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 you're going with them. And he's like, oh, man. His name's, his name's Harrison. Meanwhile, we find out that Izzy is resisting interrogation, but is also being shipped. He's being taken out of Tarawa by the Japanese military forces and taken to Japan. I believe they mentioned Tokyo by name. I could be wrong. He's being taken to Japan to be held in prison over there. So from the very beginning of this issue, their mission to rescue Izzy is shot in the foot. They don't know that, though. So the Howlers go to um, Tarawa. They're shooting people left and right. Um, there's occasional arguments with Harrison because he's a bit of a lip guy. He's their guide, though. He hates being there, but they need him there. So he reluctantly agrees to do his freaking job. Um, 
I'm not sure that there's a whole lot of need for play-by-play here. They infiltrate a Japanese prisoner of war camp, a Japanese army base, I should say. They capture the general. They say a lot of racist slurs that I'm not going to repeat. Um, the, the general's like, yeah, he's not even here anymore. He left. We sent him to Japan. And then the full-on invasion starts going in earnest. To one point where the howlers are afraid that they're going to get bombed because they're in the military base. So, so Dugan takes off his undershirt, his blue stripy undershirt that he's always wearing and raises it as a flag. And the other soldiers recognize it. Hey, is that, is that dumb, dumb Dugan's underwear floating in the breeze? And, uh. I want to start like rewriting the Star Spangled Banner to like put in the dumb dumb dudes underwear. Anyways, that's for another day. Um, so yeah, they're like, okay, um, let's let the Howlers get out. Oh, and by the way, orders from down from Admiral Turner, your job is done here. Y'all need to head back to base. And they're like, yeah, but we didn't save Izzy, and now we've got to go back to base. Well, poop. Next issue, the assassin. But they all decide to go save him anyway. They want to go save him anyway, but they're they can't. Are you sure? They, they they resolve that they're going to save him, but it's not going to be immediate. Oh, I thought they were just going to like defy orders and go Star Trek three style. Um, they may do that, but I know that Izzy is not in next issue. Oh, actually, so, I'm wrong because he does say, yeah. "Yeah, Izzy will hold up, and there'll be a day when we go get him." Yeah, yeah. So they're resolved to eventually rescue him. What kind of? And we know that he survives the war somehow, some way. What kind of heroes are these guys? Following rules. Give me a break. And the next issue box, uh, they're going is the assassin. They're going to go to Tehran, Iran. Next issue, so nowhere near Izzy. Nothing to do with Izzy. Go get Izzy. Izzy. Tell him, forget your orders. We're going. Tell him him Kaiser sent you. But you know, that's how they started this issue too. Is they're waiting around for the orders to go get him. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because they have no way to go get him if they don't get the orders because they need a ride. They don't have a Quinjet. It's a little bit weird because I feel like they were a lot more cavalier about that in early issues. Mm -hmm. Like like somehow they could just go from England to behind German lines really easily. Like Fury would just be like, I'm going to go infiltrate Strucker's camp. Yeah. And there was also issues where deliberately like – I remember that one story where Sam like says, there's not going to be a plane waiting for you at this time Mm -hmm. where you cannot steal it and then they would do it. Right. And maybe that was it. Maybe hopping the channel with all the resources of the British military is different from flying many, many, many miles across Pacific Ocean to this particular spot. Maybe Australia only has like one boat. (laughs) Um, There was one point on page six where – where is it? I'm just going to go get it. Yeah. Yeah. Where is it? Never mind. I can't say the joke because I forgot to write a page number. You know how like Gabe has his trumpet thing and Percy has his 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 uh, uh, umbrella thing and all that. Like mm-hmm. this new Australian guy's thing is like he doesn't want to do something, but he has to do it anyway. That is definitely a note that he hits a few times. <laughs> he did that last and, issue too. He's like, I don't want to save these guys. Ah, but I got it. And although there are lots of panels where Jones has his bugle out for no reason, he doesn't talk about it much. He actually gets a lot of lines in this issue, which is unusual. Yeah. And very few of them are about the bugle. I think and I was so happy. There was like one part in the end where they're reminiscing about Izzy. And he's like, Izzy liked the way I played the horn. That's the only time I think he talks about his horn. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, 
and he actually has a whole scene where he has to go into the into the woods, into the uh, I don't know the jungle, the jungle, and like take people out like ninja style. It was cool, and he didn't do it with his trumpet. Yeah, no trumpet to be seen or bugle to be seen in that whole scene. Mm-hmm. Well, it's strapped on his back, yeah, on, on his belt, but he's not holding it. Well, that's just realism. Because where would it be? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Acknowledge. I'm fine with that. It. But it was nice. It was nice to see him talking. Fury actually has a fight with General Kimoto, mm-hmm. and Kimoto gets a pretty decent showing for a page before going down. I was kind of it's. He was. He reminded me of a little Adolf Hitler, though. Like every time there's a really head honcho guy, they always kind of make him a cartoon character. He is, he a, is a bit lampooned. Yeah. yeah. Um, so speaking of racism, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of weird to me that like we've had stories where you know someone doesn't like uh, Gabe and they put the kibosh on that, or even there was that one story where the the general's son just wanted to kill any German he ever saw. And the hollers were like, that's too much. That's too far. They're prisoners. They deserve respect. They're humans, you know? Mm-hmm. But then anytime we fight Asians, it's like, jap this, jap that, jap the other thing. And I'm just like, on the one hand, yes, that's probably realistic that that's how U.S. soldiers were talking about the Japanese during World War II. But the story, but the story has not made any effort to show a balance. That, and it's also, this is being written in the 60s. So is that still cool? Or is it now being awful? I don't know. I can't. I can't decide. But it's like it, I always. It always sticks out to me when they do that. I feel like they should be better than that. But but then they also um, call Germans krauts and goose steppers and stuff. And it's like, is that that's no better or worse? But for some reason, the Japanese slurs sound worse to me. They do to me too. One thing is that in fifty issues, we have taken the time on several occasions to show that there's different, there's there's a there's a multiplicity, there's a diversity among the German people. Like the Nazi army is one thing, and they get made fun of, and they get knocked, and they get lampooned. But the German people are another thing. We've taken the time occasionally in fifty issues to show that. We've only come to the Pacific. This is like our third time here. Yeah. And they just have not taken the opportunity to do anything. Vietnam, the annual about Vietnam was really bad. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know if they just haven't taken the time to show a balance because in 1967 they weren't feeling a balance. I don't have any idea what Asian-American relations were like in the 60s. I just – that's not an area of my history that I know. And I also feel like – they attack them physically a lot, like which they probably don't do with Germans, just because you know what's oh what's, attacking their appearance. What's a German characteristic that you can make fun of? You know, they all have big noses or right. something. Not really a thing, but like in this, they talk about how short the Japanese are multiple times, mm-hmm. um, and they're not being drawn like in a golden age racist way by any means. But still, there's like a little something off to me. Yeah, it's yeah, it's drawn. not good. It's not great. No, it's better than you know, yellow with giant fangs and drool coming out or whatever they used to do. But right, yeah, it just sticks out. And you know, you maybe you're right because aren't we fighting? Uh, I'm gonna date my. I'm gonna make myself a bad history major here. But it's 1967. What war are we doing? We're doing Vietnam. Yeah. So like, uh, Korea was last decade. We're in Vietnam. We've been there for a just while. Lump all that Asia um, together as one big hatred or something. I don't know. People do tend to lump the different Asian peoples together, and that's not good. Mm-hmm. But that, if that's still happening, and people are like discounting all of them because of the Vietnam War, I wouldn't be surprised. It bothers me. And if this was like Captain America doing this, it would really mm-hmm. bother me because it's 
yep. the howlers. I'm kind of like I hold them to a lower standard maybe. But <laughs> I would not want Cap going through here calling everybody short Japs and all that stuff. That would just really bug me even though I'm sure right. he makes fun of Germans in the Golden Age and stuff. But I'm sure he's made fun of Japanese in the Golden Age, actually. Uh, but yeah, I don't want him to do it in the 60s. Um, it felt kind of weird to me pulling the Howlers out of the operation, like contrary to their previous plans. Mm. Like, I don't know if that's the thing that happens. Like Admiral's like, hey, never mind. We need y'all for something else. Leave the invasion. Yeah. Maybe they thought they did their part already. I don't know. I guess we'll see what the next thing is they need him for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of next things, there is a next issue box um, on the letters page. And below that is a banner ad for the new book. Now, it's funny because I don't know that they've ever used the term in this series before. But there are a couple of times in this issue where they use the term leathernecks. Mm-hmm. To talk about the Marines and or the Navy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a banner ad. Fall in, soldier, because if you dig Sergeant Fury, our all-new Battle Mag bombshell is bound to knock you out of your foxhole. It's on sale now or next week. So don't dare miss it. That's an order. Captain Savage and his Leatherneck Raiders. Were Is this taking place in World War II? Or? Mm-hmm. Were there Marines in World War II? I don't know. They use the term Marines in the script for this issue, which is why I mentioned it. Okay. I mean, there could be. I really don't know. Quick uh, quick wiki. The Marines. Um, There was no Air Force. There was Army Air Force, but it wasn't like its own division. The United States Marine Corps also referred to the United States Marines. The Marine Corps has been a part of the Navy since 1834. There you go. Um, I'm sorry. It's been part of the Navy department in the government, but the United States Navy is a sister service. They're not, they're not the same service. They're just under the same banner. So, so far we've seen Captain Savage unnamed as a taxi driver, right? Basically, yeah, a water taxi driver, maybe half a dozen times. So he's got a, a submarine filled with highly trained Marines that have like never helped. <laughs> yes. Okay. His first officer has been around a couple times, but yeah. Yeah, it's like I, I could, they're like sitting there listening to the missions. Like, I, I could sneak in there and kill that guy. No, okay, go, I'll just stay here then. Oh no, right. do I have to? Oh no, I was not prepared for this, <laughs> even though I should have been. Oh no. oh no, I don't know what this is. Strange Tales number one sixty five. Behold the savage sky and watch as Mike does not remember what happens. Okay. I just read this today, so I'll help you out if you start to fall. Okay, Black Noon has arrived. The Yellow Claw is about to destroy the island of Manhattan. Nick Fury lies helpless under a fantastic weapon called the Ultimate Annihilator. What a heck of a place to leave any true believer for a month. So now we have a chance to make it up to you, right? Right? And while it's still fresh in our minds, smiling Stanley editor, jaunty Jim Serenko, writer, artist, fearless Frank Giacoya, inker, swinging Sam Rosen, letterer. So if you don't like this ish, you know to whom to address the letters. A little too late for that. We get dumb, dumb freaking Dugan on the cover. Or not the cover, the splash page, leading a charge, and he's in a cool steranko outfit, only his is orange instead of blue. Uh, did I say it's called Behold the Scavage Sky? Because it is. Okay, and we get this really cool splash page of all these other orange shield guys attacking that big giant spider thing that we weren't quite sure about last issue. I guess they are on that spider thing. It's been verified now. We weren't sure last issue. This issue, we are sure. Uh, Yellowclaw's like, oh my god, I didn't expect all this fighting, and he is distracted from putting the final blow to an unconscious Nick Fury. 
Um, that gives Nick enough time to recuperate. He gets up. He starts fighting the other guy, the guy with glasses, whose name I don't care about. Holtzman. Holtzman, sure. Um, and he wins. He knocks Holtzman out. Actually, I think Dugan like helps him in the window, like tap on it to make Nick realize he's still there or something like that. So he, uh, yeah, I don't know. Dugan takes credit for the win somehow. <laughs> um, the Yellow Claw walks into like this portal thing and. Uh, it's like a weapon, right? It's a hyper. It's a duplicator. Hyper psionic brainwave emanation. It's his oh, final right. weapon, and it knocks out all these dudes. I think. Um, it's like. Um, a- it says, "See the fools wither beneath the merciless molecular chaos of my ultra lethal psychic storm." So yeah, it's yeah. a weapon. So he has like this weapon, like he he holds till he really has to use it, and he was surrounded by shield guys, so he really had to use it. And it looks like this big giant cosmic cube that he touches, and it makes his brain explode, and they all fell over. Meanwhile, Nick and Dumb, dumb, like reunite a little bit, and then uh, uh, I don't know. They're like, what happens? Like Yellow Claw disappears on them. Yeah, he says he's going to release release his squad of duplicates, and they talk about how he's got a whole robot army of copies of himself. Um, and then Yellow Claw shows up in like robot armor. Yeah, Nick goes off on his own to go after him, and then like see, and he thinks he's going to kill him with his advanced James Bond slingshot, but it just bounces off because he's got armor. And then they get into a fist fight, and guess what? Nick's still hurting, and plus it's a big giant robot, so Nick gets knocked out. And um, that's is this like the shortest one ever? That's the end. He's unconscious again, and Yellow Claw jumps into the ship like, and gets away. It's like an old movie serial. Nick Fury goes from unconscious to unconscious, you know, in between chapters. This is technically the shortest one yet because it's one page less. Well, it seems short. Um, And it also seemed like we went from Nick Fury being unconscious and the Yellow Claw winning to Nick Fury being unconscious and the Yellow Claw winning. But but he didn't really win because the shield did take over that big giant spider thing. So basically he won by just escaping and he's going to come back someday. And then the next issue is Retribution. Ra ha ha. We we are nearing the end. This is, this is 165, mm-hmm. and uh, 167 is the last issue of Strange Tales. Okay, and I believe it's the end of this arc, both for Doctor Strange and for Agent of Shield. Whenever they split, unlike Captain America and Iron Man, whenever they split, they start new arcs with new. I don't think new creative team for Shield, but new arc. Well, I liked seeing Dum Dum. That was surprising when I opened it. I didn't think we'd see him for some time. Yeah, I looked him up uh, because last time we saw him in this book, he was saying goodbye. Mm -hmm. He went on a leave of absence to visit his family in Boston. And although we've seen him in other series since then, the Chronology Project has his leave of absence be from when he left previously to coming back today. And his other appearances in other books take place either before or after this entire Yellow Claw business. Okay. Well, that and the splash page uh, was pretty cool. Splash page was cool. Him in a him in a jumpsuit was interesting because he's always like the suit and fedora. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised he doesn't like gripe about his fedora. This because he's missing his fedora. Yeah, but outside of that, I can't say I loved loved this. Bro down. Bro down. Yeah. Um, what did I say? Um, I thought the opening thing where they're raiding the giant spider in the sky would be a hell of a shot in an action film version of this. Oh yeah. But it feels kind of static on the page with Storenko's art. Mm. Uh, um, he takes, he takes off Holtzman's glasses because Holtzman's was wearing Kirby shades this entire time. Mm-hmm. I say Kirby shades because there's always that like zaggy line across them. <laughs> right. But when he takes them off, he's like missing an eye. 
Kind of. They don't comment on it. They're just like, oh my gosh, he's got a bad eye. So I don't know if it's just like body horror stunning shot or if there was – I thought they were going to say something about it. They don't. It says he's no beauty prize. He has a – he has two eyes, but one of them looks white and there's scarring on it. And I wasn't sure if they were trying to say that's like permanent or if that's because Nick Fury just headbutted him in the face. But – I feel like it was supposed to be like, oh my gosh, Holtzman only has one eye this whole time. Yeah. Um, Yeah. He's very – But they didn't really – He's very strucker about his face. Yeah. And whenever um, Yellowclaw said he was going to release his squad of duplicates and they talked about how he was going to have duplicate robots and then all of a sudden Nick Fury is fighting what looks like a robot, I thought it was one of the robot duplicates. But then it turns out to be Yellowclaw and he has – He's just armor on. He's just got too much stuff and it's all over the place. Like It's so all over like the place. Like what is it, two issues or last issue? He's just teleporting around and getting everything and double-crossing everybody. And then this issue, he's got a hyper-psionic brainwave and emanator that he's never mentioned. And he has a big mm-hmm. Iron Man outfit. And it's like pick a lane, man. Like what is your theme, Yellowclaw? If you like huge, over-the-top ideas that don't have any grounding, but you're just there for the style, this is pretty flashy. But I I'm, I have lost so much investment in this series, and I was so excited for the Draco run, and now just like, uh. I guess that, like, his outfit on page four, I just maybe assumed, he looks like he's wearing an armor under his tunic. So maybe the suggestion is he's always had this armor. But I don't know. It's just yeah it's, yeah, it's possible. Yeah, he does have that that, that, that skin tight art metallic thing that goes over his head. Uh-huh. Yeah, maybe you know the whole modern day thing of special effects masks that don't exist. Uh-huh. They just like push a button, suddenly all of these panels come out and turn into a mask. It's nanotech, you like it? That's kind of what I'm imagining for this. Is that just like panels slide yeah. over his face and slide back off? I guess that's cool, but I, yeah, it's feeling very uh, Doctor Strangey. These back and forth stories. That just don't go anywhere. Kind of, kind of getting stale income. Uh, I want there to be some grounding in both of these. Like, this is just Strange Tales book altogether, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's their theme. Let's just do meandering, never-ending stories. Well, before you do the Doctor Strange story, I discovered something recently. All right. I have Agamemnon. In 1967, there was a Doctor Strange radio show. What? Yeah. Uh, it ran for 13 episodes. Uh... Uh-huh. None of which are available except for the first one. But the first one is on YouTube. You can go search Doctor Strange Radio Show and listen to the first episode. It is very well done, takes itself seriously, puts on an actual production that tells the origin of Doctor Strange. But it's a half hour, so it's like expanded kind of. And there's really cool music and sound effects. And like I said, they play it straight. And I really liked it. I kind of wish the other 12 episodes were out there so I could at least hear it all. Um, Why was there radio shows in 1967? We had TV. I don't know. That's weird. I guess ra- radio hadn't completely faded away. Wow. I mean, there's there's still radio productions nowadays. It's just they're really, you know, like, yeah, for they're really niche. Made for nerds like us. But yeah, the NPR and stuff. Is it called Doctor Strange, Doctor Weird? No, that's not what it's called. No. I think you can search Doctor Strange radio show, and if you, maybe if you add 1967, it might show up. Oh, it's under the um, it's under his radio. Uh, it's under his main Wikipedia page. It is. It is listed as radio is Wikipedia page. Oh no, I'm lying. I don't know. 
I don't, I'm not finding it, but maybe I, I, I'm not also not searching YouTube yet. I was just trying to find information on it. Information, information is scarce. Wow. There it is, 1967. It's the first thing that pops up if you go to YouTube. So there you go. Yeah, yeah, and you want there to be more, but there are not more. There's just the one episode. There was a guy selling CDs of the first six or seven episodes, but all of the sites you can buy them from seem to have gone defunct. Bummer. That's cool. It's there. I recommend out there, listener land, I recommend listening to the first episode. You'll want more, but at least you'll get to hear what it was. Yeah. All right. Well, shall we cover them? Yeah, let's talk about our strange. All right, the mystic and the machine in a world beneath a world. In a world beneath a world. The master of the mystic arts presses grimly forward, knowing that somewhere at the end of the dank subterranean tunnel awaits Yandroth. Yandroth, science lord of a vast planet, a cruel entity whose sinister brain has unlocked the secrets of the cosmos with the power of pure evil intellect. From the forbidden files of Stan Lee comes the Halcyon hallucinatory happening tensely told by Jim Lawrence pipe dreamed and pictured by Dan Atkins and lettered behind locked doors by Al Kurzrock. pipe dream isn't that like saying drug hallucination um pipe dreamed I always thought was like a a, a fantasy that was never going to happen like you pipe dream about yeah. like yeah. being a rock star or something. It's definitely an idiom like that. I just, I was just like thinking, of, what does the word actually mean there? Is that like it's a good you point. smoke a pipe yeah. and have a dream? It's probably, probably where it drug. came from. Yeah, like you're smoking and then you have all these delusions of grandeur or something. Right. right. That's what happens when I smoke. Um, okay, so he comes to a big giant door and he tries to use his magic to open it. it doesn't work, but then it opens on its own accord. He is instantly faced with a giant techno gun that's got a camera on it. Um, but he shazams it and it blows up and the guy's like, whoa, I didn't think magic could beat science. Crazy. So he clicks a button and this thing zaps him and he seems unconscious. Um, so the guy who looks like Lex Luthor kind of with the green and everything has a gun. He's going to go check out the body and he walks past his prisoner. Who's the lady, uh, Victoria Bentley, which is the whole point of this plot, and he's talking to her. But guess what? Secretly, Strange was not unconscious. He projected his astral form to follow Lex Luthor around and figure out where Victoria Bentley was jailed. So now he knows. So he goes back to his body just as Lex Luthor shows up. And he's like, well, I'm going to shoot you with my awesome ray gun. And he's like, well, no, you're not. Twinkle, twinkle. And, like, the ray gun flies out of his hand, and then he... And then he bays the ray gun in fire. So then the guy's like, well, how's this for science? And he punches him and he says, this is called physics. And he hits him in the face and he runs. <laughs> and Dr. Strange flies after him um, and catches up with him. And he tries to shoot him again. So Dr. Strange tackles him. He's like, I know physics. I used to be in medical school. And he punches him back and knocks him out. Um, but I think, oh, yeah. The guy managed to turn on something before Doctor Strange caught up with him in his office. He managed to press a button, and just as Doctor Strange is like gloating over his victory of knocking Lex Luthor out, a wall blows up, and behind the wall is a giant 50s robot drummer. And next gripping issue, <laughs> the Ancient One lives. They are drumsticks, aren't they? Yeah. Voltor. Voltor, right. Gaze, Earthling, upon Voltor. Sounds like a Pokemon. <sighs> The art continues to be brilliant. I really liked the art in this. 
Dan Atkins does some real serious Doctor Strange. Totally. It's pretty great. Really good. Like that Batman impression on page three is fantastic. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and you're, right. you're right. This is very Lex Luthor, scientist, evil, bad guy. Um, <laughs> the idea that magic beats science without even thinking twice about it, like that was the predictable outcome. Right. I would have been surprised if they hadn't done that. Right. It was kind of obvious, right? How can science beat magic if magic is a thing? Because science deals with reality and magic deals with supernatural, like above reality. I can bypass reality right. with my magic. Right. What would science even do for magic? Nothing. So uh, that said, I don't know. I kind of enjoyed it. I did. I liked it. I liked the. <laughs> I hate when I go to the grocery store. And I tried to use magic on the automatic doors. Yeah. They won't respond. Yeah. But I just walk up to them and they open. I'm like, why didn't you do that for my magic? The door metal must be impervious to occult energy. So it's like, dang, make more stuff out of that metal, I guess. I guess. Um, oh, oh, oh. Okay. It's been a while, but I'm pretty sure that this is the first time that Doctor Strange's astral form has been described as astral and not uh, ectoplasmic. Ectoplasmic. Good. My ethereal self. But I was thinking about it, and I actually decided that although I like the term astral more, mm. I think ectoplasmic is actually technically a better term. Is it? Just, just go with me on this. We, the, I'm not changing any opinions. I'm just talking about words. <laughs> so astral stuff was like the 60s fascination with horoscopes and zodiac and the stars ah, and everything. Right. And so astral being connected to the stars... You know, that whole side of thought that came out, especially in the 60s, whereas ectoplasmic is sort of a scientific explanation of stuff that we can't quantify about your existence, like your soul. Um, so although I, yeah, although I definitely love the term astral form more, I think that ectoplasm might objectively be a, a more appropriate term. But it's more scientific, which is probably why he doesn't want to use it, especially after his encounter with science guy. Um, what else? I don't know. He punches the guy and says, see, I can beat you up. That means you weren't fit to lead. But I think that being punchable doesn't necessarily make you unfit to lead. That's just, Marvel loves that, doesn't it? Yeah. Not just Marvel, to be fair. Like, lots of things seem to like that. Like, if you can beat me up, you can lead the whole planet. Mm -hmm. Okay, sure. And if I can beat you up, you must not be fit to lead the whole planet. Works for Black Panther. Do you think Voltor really is able to snuff suns and... Destroy the universe with a thought? I don't know. Or do you think he's exaggerating? I kind of made fun of him, but I sort of also think he looks really awesome. But <laughs> It's a pretty great splash page at the end. <laughs> but I don't know like what a robot is going to do against Doctor Strange, really. But It's kind, it's kind of, of ridiculous. Doctor Strange fighting a giant robot. Yeah. That, that's just kind of like, ah. Uh, is, huh. is this a panel like where he just snuffs it out? My favorite, My favorite part of that page, mm -hmm. next issue, The Ancient One Lives. Yeah, that was surprising. Yeah. yeah. Well, okay. Um, quick and easy, Doctor Strange. Yep, that's it. I'm just looking to see if there's anything interesting in the next issue box, and there's really not fighting Yellow Claw and fighting Yandroth. Um, all right, so that wraps up our episode, which brings us to our list for next week. If you're here with us next week, we're going to talk about five comics. We're going to wrap up this week of release, November 2nd, with Thor 148 and Tales of Suspense 98, the penultimate issue of that series. Then we're going to jump over to November 9th. We're going to have a debut issue of Captain Savage and his Leatherneck Raiders, which Mike and I have never read. Fantastic Four 71 and Daredevil 36. 
So read those for next week if you like to read ahead. And Mike, if they don't like to read ahead, but they do like to write to us and they don't know where to find us, where can they find us? Well, they can write to us, podcast at makearsmarvel.com. If we don't want to remember that, just remember the name of our show, Make Ours Marvel, and go to that.com, and there you will find a contact form you could use. You'll also find links to our social media on Facebook and Twitter. And, of course, the most important thing, you'll find links to the show on the popular apps or just an RSS feed. Also on our website, makearsmarvel.com, is a PayPal link if you want to donate to the show to help offset the costs. Never expected, but always appreciated. Um, we also can be found on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at John Reads Comics, no H. Michael's on Twitter at Kaiser the Great, just one H in the middle of the no other H's. Um, then, uh, yeah, we will be back next week. So until then, or until Doctor Strange teams up with Reed Richards because science can make his magic more powerful, make ours marvel.